Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. I'm honored to be speaking to game composer, the man who worked for LucasArts. He's worked on Grim Fandango, Plants and Zombies, Sly Cooper, of course, Psychonauts and Psychonauts 2. He is the only one, Peter McConnell. How you doing? Great, Reese. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I am gutted you're not wearing your legendary fedora. I must have I must say that. <laughs> oh, it's 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 on account it's on account of the headphones. What can I say? Yeah, I, yeah, otherwise yeah. I would have. I, yeah. I, so I'm sorry about that. That's all right. That's all right. I've I've got a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was it I've got a camping hat I think I can, I can wear over the camping hat, but it doesn't quite work with the headphones. Not quite the yet. same. Not anyway, quite the same. Go ahead. Anyway, yeah, yeah. No. Uh, well, I think the best place to start off is obviously with Psychonauts and Psychonauts 2. How did you come up with the idea of the musical palette for it? Well, um, so back in 2000, uh, really, when when uh, Tim uh, had left LucasArts, and that was just really shortly before I left, uh, 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 I guess when the time we're actually talking was after I left because that's when I started. So right away, really started working on uh, uh, Double Fine's first game pretty much as soon as they were uh, uh, f founded. And I was, um, and I was, uh, you know, a free agent. And uh, in, in those days, this was, this was um, just really at the height of the dot-com craze. And, uh, and uh, everybody and his brother had a had a startup somewhere in San Francisco, right. and uh, and uh, Tim Schaefer's startup was literally in a garage south of Market. So you went to in this alley, and then there was this um, there was this sort of you know industrial alley with uh, sort of the backs of buildings you might say, and and there was a great big. Uh, garage door that looked like the garage door in full throttle if you're f you remember or familiar yeah, with, yeah, with, yeah. That, with that puzzle right well it looked remarkably like that and um if you worked at double fine um you that you had that garage door open then you parked in this indoor area and then you climbed up a ladder to a loft uh, to your desk and so literally everybody was working in their own exhaust that's how that's that's how it was in the beginning uh, uh, for Double Fine. It was, you know, it was really, uh, uh, you know, a bootstrapping kind of uh, situation. And um, and uh, in fact, I was told recently that one of the employees had a particularly um, problematic car exhaust wise. And he would get a lot of grief every time he would pull in because then the whole garage would fill up and everybody was gagging while they were so so the point is we everything started under under pretty humble circumstances and um uh uh this is a you know perhaps a roundabout way of answering your question but i wanted to i wanted to kind of lay the groundwork for for uh what was the context of coming up with the score and i uh worked out of my uh little cottage in berkeley this up in the berkeley hills uh, and uh, a little one-room um, cottage slash studio, and um, so when uh, everything that I did for the for for Psychonauts one was was written and recorded in that little cottage, um, some <clears throat> some of which would have been to the chagrin of the neighbors, um, but uh, so 
pretty much in every big project that Tim Schaefer and I have done together, there's been a little early, a period early on where he will give me some kind of, you know, guide, aesthetic guidance, something to, some kind of inspiration, right? For Brutal Legend, it was his favorite collection of metal tunes, right? Um, and for Grim Fandango, it was um, these kind of rare um, vinyl records of Mexican folk music that his brother had bought, brought back from Mexico. Um, and uh, so, and, and uh, also his, his collection of uh, film noir of Humphrey Bogart films, which I took forever to return to him, um, much to his chagrin. Um, but uh, there's always this period where, where, uh, you know, you do your research or your, or, and in, in the case of working with Tim, he would give me something to, to kind of chew on uh, as I'm coming up with themes and, and sort of a direction for the score. So um, it, for, for, um, for Psychonauts, the main thing that he gave me was a collection of Roma music from uh, Transylvania, Moldavia, um, various parts of Eastern Europe where um, there are Roma communities. And uh, this particular, um, uh, this particular uh, CD happened to be on Johnny Depp's Rolling Stone playing list at the time or something. I, I forgot how uh, Johnny Depp somehow figured into the, into the, uh, into the uh, Tim finding the CD, I believe. But, uh, and I listened to that quite a bit and that, um, that, you know, Psychonauts is, it's a very eclectic score style wise because you know what could be more varied than the human brain right so so i really kind of didn't uh was uh, have been unapologetic about just borrowing from any any and every possible genre to uh do the to uh create the music and but the this one particular influence was kind of it, it may not permeate the entire score but it's very important to understand Raz. And uh, so uh, Raz's family music that you hear in Psychonauts 2 comes from a little dream that Raz had in Psychonauts 1 that was just ever so subtly influenced by this, this, um, this uh, Roma music that I'm talking about. And also the, the, um, there's a piece called The Meat Circus in Psychonauts 1, which reappears in Psychonauts 2 as the flea circus and that's very much sort of influenced at least uh to some degree by this by this roma music that that uh that uh that i listened to so uh anyway th th there was a there was a period at, during which i was coming up with stuff for psychonauts one themes uh melodies and the way i like to work if I'm able to do so, if I have the luxury of doing so, and, and for some of these bigger projects, I, I have been able to do this. The way I like to work is just to focus on melodies in the beginning. So um, in those days, um, I still had a handheld cassette player. So we're talking 2000, Psychonauts, Psychonauts 1 days. And I would hum into the cassette. Um, and the, it's this, I also used that same cassette player in the Grim Fandango. And I would hum into the cassette I just play on the piano. I'm a terrible piano player. That's a long story, but um, I play on the piano and hum the, hum the tune. I figure if it's going to pass that test, like 
Tim likes it um, uh, in that rendition, then, then we're, you know, going to be pretty solid going forward. So I went through a, I went through a, a sort of a stage where I was introduced to the Psychonauts characters, mostly through concept art. And I, you know, I always look at the concept art early on in a, in a, in a project backgrounds and characters and, um, and I try to come up with themes for the backgrounds and the characters. And this is a, for, for, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are aware, are aware of this. Maybe some aren't that, um, game music, the way you handle themes and, and, and represent characters and places and, and ideas, it, it comes, it comes from the movie tradition, which in turn comes from the opera tradition. And, um, so, uh, you know, some movies, you just have like some kind of a score and it, that doesn't necessarily, uh, it doesn't necessarily go into this kind of detail, but a lot of, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the movie scores that I'm particularly, um, you know, fond of like the John Williams star Wars music or, or, um, or, uh, anything by Ennio Morricone, um, or, um, uh, Jerry Goldsmith or any, any of the classic composers, they very much are, are informed by this 19th century, um, tradition of, 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 of what's called a leitmotif, a, a, uh, a theme that comes back and it can be very small and short, but just a little mel melodic fragment that lets you know that, you know, say the force is being used in the star Wars movies, for example. Um, and so for psychonauts, um, that's how I like to work. So in the beginning, I basically was humming these themes that were going to be the sort of the, the skeletons on which the, uh, you know, flesh of the score. Gosh, I'm getting, I'm starting to sound like a zombie movie here. Um, <laughs> that's right, that's right. Um, uh, <laughs> when lost in the sea of metaphor, sometimes it's great to reach for the, um, for the lifeboat of, of anyway. Um, uh, uh, so I, I, you know, would just hum these very simple, basic versions of the themes into this handheld cassette player, which I would then, um, and M it, in 2000, MP3s were brand new, and I was able to actually send MP3s over on the internet to San, to San Francisco so Tim could listen to them. This was a new thing though, in those days. It's like, wow, we're communicating. We're shipping stuff over our, our com computers. How cool is that? Um, so, and, and all of those, you know, and pretty much, well, any character, which is in Psychonauts one and returns in Psychonauts two has a little touch of, of his or her theme from Psychonauts one. Hmm. Um, and, um, uh, and that is, uh, so Psychonauts two was very much sort of the beginning for me of, of all these, um, you know, of, of the story, musical story that could, got continued in Psychonauts uh, 2. Um, wait, did I say that right? Psychonauts 1. Psychonauts 1, yeah. Yeah, Psychonauts I, I know 1. What you, I know what you mean. You know what I know I mean, what you mean. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and, and so a lot of this, you know, a lot of what's, happens, what's happening in the Psychonauts 2 story is really um, a way to finally explore all the material that really just got started on and touched on in Psychonauts 1 since we had... A, fewer resources to work with and, yeah, yeah. um, and, uh, 
it was less music. It was, you know, an, an hour and change of music or something. And uh, with, uh, with Psychonauts 2, it's three hours of music. It's a lot of music. Um, so I was really able to um, explore, um, you know, uh, really in depth what had just been sort of started in Psychonauts 1. Given the amount of times you've worked with Tim Schafer, has it gotten mm-hmm. to the point that if he does a game, it's just, and he's like, well, who should I get to compose? Oh, Peter. You know, has it gotten to the point where you'll just do anything? With him? Um, I, 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 you know, I hope I work on every, I've worked on every Tim Schafer game so far. And, uh, going back to, uh, uh, day of the tentacle, which he was one of the writers on. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and maybe he might've even been a writer on monkey too. I'm not sure. Uh, I can't remember now, but, um, but, uh, I sure hope that I work on every single one that's you know knock on wood i love working with tim and uh uh it's a great privilege and an honor to to uh work with um someone who's that uh talented and gifted when it comes to story writing and game design is it is there something specific about him that like you like working with him over like what what's the unique quality that he has well um well, being great, <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, you know, Tim. Tim but is, you're great is, too. So I, well, I have I have a great I have a great admiration for Tim. He's he's a he's a a wonderful leader. I think, um, and it's really really hard to uh, survive as a um, as a uh, independent maker of games. Yeah, and. Um, you know, and he did, and not only did he survive, but with with a tremendous amount of loyalty from his from his employees. Uh, Double Fine's a very special company, and it's it's because of him. So, um, it it what is it you know like to work with him? Well, I think he leads by example more than by directive, um, and uh, he really encourages participation, creative participation from all corners. Um, now I say this as not as someone who's ever been employed by him. I, I've always worked for him as a, you know, independent composer, yeah. but you know, you hang around a company long enough and you get a sense of what, what, uh, what the culture is. And that's a very special place. And, and, and Tim's role is, you know, it's like he commands a lot of respect, um, uh, and yet he's got a very sort of low key way of, of, uh, of, uh, of running things uh, of, and that sort of, you know, my experience as a composer, he will give me the influences that I mentioned earlier. And then pretty much I run with it. And, uh, once, once we've talked about the general direction, um, honestly, there's very little direct involvement that Tim has. I mean, we'll talk about music. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the philosophy of the score. Um, but in terms of day to day, you know, f- fix this kind of thing. Um, that's pretty rare. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in three hours of Psychonauts music, I, I'm hard pressed at the moment to th- think of a note that, that came from Tim about how to change something. Now I, I did get feedback from the team on, uh, cause it's a very collaborative process. 
So, and my feeling about that always is, well, you know, these guys know the game better than you, so you got to listen to them. Is that something that you've learned over time? Because my experience is creatives, we can sometimes be quite sensitive to constructive criticism. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to say I have thick skin and I know that's a lie. <laughs> um, so I, I really try to keep, I really, really do try to keep... Um, uh, keep that out of it. Um, because, you know, I've, I've been doing this for, um, you know, 30 years plus now. And in all that time, I don't think I've ever been able, I've, I don't think I've ever been asked to make a change by anybody on any project, uh, where after the change was made, I didn't go, you know what? They were right. I'm glad, I'm glad we did that. Hmm. That's good though. So, it's a good quality yeah, I, to have. I always feel like I always feel like like I said that they really like I may really chafe sometimes at 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 doing a fix or or addressing a note, but um, but literally a hundred percent of the time I'm glad that I did it. Um, so I you just you know, yeah you, ha you have to have humility when you're doing this stuff. I I I, I I'm you know I'm proud of my work as a composer. I'm I. I, uh, I think I'm good, but that you doesn't, are good. Come on, man. <laughs> but I, I doesn't stop. That doesn't, I really try not to let that get in the way of, of what my role is, which is to bring someone else's creation to life. That's really, um, really where I am. That's, that's the, that's, that's what the musical score does. It, it brings the emotion to, to, really someone else's vision. So it's, they are the ones who know that vision, you know, the, and if they're, if they are, um, you know, good at what they do, uh, and just, I've always been lucky to work with people who seem to be good at what they do, you know, and, and double finds, like I said, it's just an amazing company. Then I got to trust that those folks are, um, that they know what's best. And, uh, and like I said, my experience always has been, they didn't in fact do know, I'll see it in the scene again, go, you know, yep, glad we did that. It was a pain, but I'm glad we did that. Well, that's good, because it obviously going forward, if you've already got that established model that's worked 100% of the time, then you're less likely to try and criticize it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's and, and it's really, you know, for all you young composers out there, the customer's always right. You know, it's, it's the, it's you're, you're, uh, it's a, this is a, this is a collaborative art. And so you need to, you need to really be, um, channeling, mm. uh, what's, what's going on with, with the, with the, uh, with what you're scoring. Uh, you're not just running off and, you know, making music out of thin air. Yeah. Now, something I've always wondered is because you play guitar and violin, mm -hmm. what actually causes more calluses on the fingers? Oh, jeez. Because um, I play guitar, nice. and you know, you end up, you can end up with cut, cut fingers and all that sort of yeah. stuff. But obviously, with violin, I've never played a violin, so I don't know if it's as bad, if it's less. Well, the, 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 um, the, 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 the instrument that, that probably I 
cut my fingers on the most was was the five string banjo um and uh that that uh was the first instrument that i really i used to play like when i was 13 i used to play it like three hours a day uh, i just really really got into that instrument and i still have uh, and and i play some banjo on psychonauts too um i still play it um, Given and, the uh, amount of that, times I did used to play that till my Shaker. fingers has bled. it gotten to so the point that's that the only if he does a game and he's like, "Well, uh, we'll shake it to compose that uh, stage oh, on." Yeah. Um, to the point I would where you'll just say do anything um, with him? that uh, it's him? actually violin that that is a little harder on your fingers, but that is because um, uh, with the guitar you have, it, depending on how hard you press and so on, you have the frets to help you. Um, right. where it, uh, but it's important really also that, that one of the, you know, for people who play any kind of stringed instrument to really learn exactly how hard to place your fingers down, because you don't want to do it too lightly, but you also don't want to do it too strongly. It's, you want to be as absolutely efficient. You need to find that sweet spot of just the right amount of pressure to get the tone that you want because that's going to help you move around if you if you if you're very economical with the pressure you use that's going to help you move around on the instrument a lot so how long did it take you to kind of get to that point with the violin oh god well you know i i didn't practice enough so it's like i i uh, uh you know some years probably you know i i i played violin i was you know classically trained and went through the sort of normal high school uh, youth orchestra kind of situation and in college i i i kind of i i did a little bit of playing on on a project and then i put put the instrument down for almost 10 years came back to it and learned to improvise and that changed my life oh uh, wow that's cool yeah so so um and that's really what you know i think of myself as a as a rock and roll violinist uh more than anything i you know, got an, a Marshall half stack over there that <laughs> that uh, it doesn't get out very much these days. But I I I, uh, I I like to improvise at high volume on the instrument. That's that's what I really like to do. Is that what you that, and, that, and getting back to the eye shrine that that's the that's me playing the electric. Oh, is it? Oh, it's cool. Yeah. 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 So because the mm -hmm. games change so much. Uh, from your time in the 90s working for LucasArts, right? Well, you're probably yes. working within technological constraints with hardware in terms of how you can compose to the big AAA orchestras that you can use now. Mm -hmm. Like, what, what was the ship? When did it start kind of moving into that sphere, the orchestrated stuff? When did you actually really start working in that space? Well, I remember, I remember, you know, really in the early days of LucasArts, we're like, well, you know, someday we're going to be able to work with orchestras. And, uh, and, uh, uh, but it didn't really start to happen in the industry at large. Like Grim Fandango came out in like 98, I think it was. And that was still, um, that was notable for having live jazz in it. Um, and, mm. and, and of course it didn't have, and, and all the orchestra in, in that, uh, game was originally sampled, uh, and but around that time, I think people start uh, at, at other companies started um, started doing live orchestral scores uh, because by the time I left in two thousand, and, and Clint Pajakian was was also uh, one of my colleagues at LucasArts was was 
excuse me, scoring um, shortly thereafter, um, scoring a, a big Indiana Jones uh, movie with live orchestra. So it was in, it, it really started to shift in the late 90s and early 2000s where people were using more and more live players and there were budgets for that sort of thing. Right. And was it easy for you to kind of just move into that? Um, well, I, I had the benefit of some classical training, um, uh, but I was, you know, I was pretty determined, actually. Um, uh, the first orchestral recording I did, I just did as a demo on my own dime. And uh, I had, oh. uh, and uh, so um, I, had, I, I, I was just um, newly married, my and with a daughter on the way, and uh, well, I learned she would be a daughter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, first child on the way, and and um, and. Uh, uh, I had absolutely no work that year, um, and it was really stunning. And I was involved in a in a in a startup with Michael Land, who's a, who led the LucasArts sound department, and we were doing a, a technology startup that was uh, going less than optimally at the time. And uh, uh, so I had pretty much no income, and I needed to support myself by writing music. Um, and I realized at that time that um, I really wanted to, you know, do orchestral music because, mm. because first of all, there's more demand for it. And second of all, I just really wanted to do it. Um, so so uh, my, uh, my buddy from L.A., a, a, a film composer named Jim Latham, um, called me up and said, you know, I've, I've, I'm, I'm a recording um, I'm recording some stuff in um, in Prague with this guy who does remote recordings. Um, do you want to fly down and 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 do some tunes together, do some pieces together uh, with this orchestra in Prague? I was like, absolutely. So then I just uh, and I had like a week to do. I I, and I wrote these pieces and and um, slaved really really hard to you know get the get the um, all the parts right and everything like that and flew down to L.A. and 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 my wife kindly let me put uh, three grand on her uh, on her credit card. <laughs> well, that's generous. And and uh, well, you know, we uh, we did have we did have a kid on the way. There was, there was certain. <laughs> I guess I mean, maybe she was too trusting. I don't know. But anyway, it all worked out. And um, and uh, that was my first orchestral recording. Was was done just just to do it for myself. And um, those pieces, um, I, I know actually for a fact that that, um, that one or two of those pieces, they've never actually been used anywhere, but um, they did um, get me gigs. It, it was a good thing that I did that. It was mostly, you know, it was mostly just the energy of doing it. It's like, why, um, why do you go to the moon? You know why does why do people want to go to the moon? I mean, there are practical reasons, but but part of it is just to have a goal. Yeah, and uh, and so that was my goal. Is I wanted to I wanted to write orchestral music, and uh, I was able to work with a good orchestrator that helped too. Uh, uh, a fellow named Jonathan Sachs, who scored, uh, um, who orchestrated all the Toy Story movies. That's cool. Um, and uh, so I, I got some expert help. 
Um, but, uh, you know, ultimately I still had to write the music. Uh, and, uh, so I learned a lot doing that. And, you know, I had, like I said, I had some training from college and studied, studied, uh, sort of traditional classical music writing. And, uh, but I've very much over the years been a learn on the job kind of guy. So that was the beginning of that. So, so let's say you have, you have a brass section, you have a string section, yep. you, you have a pianist there that are all, mm-hmm. they do that stuff all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Cause like say with the London symphony orchestra, they'd all work together on the same right. projects, right? That as a team, Correct. but let's say, um, you wanted to record an instrument that's not usually within that sphere, like a sitar or a koto, ah, or okay, a, some sort of weird Greek instrument of some sort. Mm-hmm. How does that work into the the framework when they're not usually connected to the team that is recording? Well, Psychonauts too um, is a really good example because we. Um, and and some of this we had to do by necessity because of COVID. Um, oh, right. Yeah, uh, because because there were very few places in in the uh, in the world where you could actually get an entire orchestra uh, in a room in 2020. That's true. And one of the places where you could do this, which which was uh, uh, very fortunately for, for us, since we had a, uh, I've had a long term relationship with them with them as uh, Melbourne Symphony. So uh, Melbourne was able to, uh, and it was it was touch and go uh, because uh, uh, they had very strict rules about how many people could be in the room. So our initial plan was to record the orchestral parts in three sections. So you can only get twenty people on the stage at once. So you record pieces of the music, uh, and uh, at the at the end of the day we were able to do it in two sections so we so the entire score was recorded strings and winds with a separate set of recordings for brass and percussion so and, um sorry i was just gonna ask were yes. you were you present there or were no you no no, no. It's all done all done all done remotely it's all done using something called audio movers um and I, I i you know i think a lot of musicians these days uh pretty much all know all over know about audio movers because it's a way that you can record uh, remotely and, and it's like being in the in the studio with people. So I've done uh, uh, last year, I did a number of live recordings uh, and the biggest ones being the ones for Psychonauts. And um, and uh, they were all done in using this method. You, you, you can basically go into your studio and load up your Pro Tools session and then you can uh, and then you can using uh, basically web links, you can hear what's going on in the other studio in your Pro Tools sessions, like being there. And so uh, uh, for Psychonauts, uh, we had, uh, we literally had musicians from Beijing to Orlando um, in in different sessions being layered. So uh, the Arhu player was in Beijing, uh, a composer, a friend of mine named Seth Tsui. Uh, the Melbourne Symphony was the, of course, the orchestra and also a meet, the meat of a lot of the jazz pieces. A lot of the, a lot of the, the um, winds and brass for some of the jazz pieces was done in Melbourne. Uh, then we had a rhythm section for, for um, uh, a lot of the jazz was recorded in Nashville. Um, the, some of my f- friends 
basically I tried to work with as many friends that I'd worked with on, on earlier projects like um, Paul Hansen, who played electric bassoon on, on uh, Psychonauts 2, goes back to Grim Fandango, my friend Hans Christian up in um, Door County in Wisconsin, uh, played the cello, um, my friend Andy Burton, who's a keyboardist ex extraordinaire for Little Steven and Cindy Lauper and folks like that. He, um, he played keys in Hoboken, New Jersey. Uh, uh, Matt Eckel, flautist, played from, from Seattle. Um, Ravi Knipstra, bass player, played from LA. Uh, all these sessions I listened to in real time uh, and uh, put together. And it was, sure, it was a job putting all that together for three yeah, hours. Yeah, I bet it was. And, and then we had, and then we had the uh, rock and roll that we did at Skywalker Ranch. That was with uh, Michael Lynn and Clint Bajakian and and uh, uh, phenomenal keyboard player named Justice Dobrin, who really ran the session, um, uh, and uh, Eli Hlidzik on drums. Anyway, we we lot of a lot of players. Um, uh, you know, it's a lot of live musicians. There, there's very little music on Psychonauts Two that isn't live, uh, and if it is, it's um, like the occasional synth um so really other than the vibraphone sound and the piano sound everything else was played in real time by a by a, a amazing player That's except so for me cool. i i played the ones that weren't amazing but. <laughs> <laughs> too too humble man too humble <laughs> but that sounds like such a mission to do it that way i mean obviously that's just the way it had to be done and i it, suppose it, it, going forward that might still be the standard even if you can record with an orchestra there might be instances where that might still be done yeah um it had to be uh uh it had to be done that way for any necessity is the mother of invention so yeah it had to be done that way there were great benefits actually to recording to recording the orchestra in sections because it allowed us to use the music more um it gave us more options with uh how to use the music in the gameplay Sometimes ah, right. you might want to bring up, bring in, or bring the brass in, or not have it in, depending on the situation. For example, that was that was a really nice, and 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 honestly, it helped just with the mix too to have that kind of control. Uh, I know that I know that on uh, you know there are other um, big developers who who normal who regularly record orchestras and sections this way for for the purposes of interactivity. That's a um, that is kind of a big budget thing to do, you might say. Um, yeah, yeah. In this case, it was is it was an absolute requirement. Okay. Now, back in the '90s, when you were at LucasArts, you wore a lot of hats. There were so many different things that you did, right? Compared to mm -hmm. say now, where you just compose, because usually uh, certain people are given jobs to do. So there'll be someone that does the sound editing, and someone that does sound design, and then there'll be someone that does composing. But you were doing a lot of different things at LucasArts. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was the early days, you know. So, I mean, shoot, I even did Yoda's voice. Don't ask me to do it. But uh. well, I actually was going to ask you about an Avril Akbar too. Uh, um, so, how but, how did you come up with the voice? Did you just imitate like Frank Oz for ages until you? Uh, well, I was watching all that Sesame Street, you know, because oh, right. in, in the end of the day, it's it's uh, Yoda's got a certain amount of Grover and uh, and. Uh, and uh, um, I'm trying to think of who, who else I hear in him. But um, mm. yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was fun. You know, and 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 uh, that was again, that was really in the early days um where um the voice department, you know, had to cut corners. So Yeah, exactly. I died a lot, you know. <laughs> Nothing in sector 7. Wow, you know. But um, how many how many takes would you do? Is it just one take and they'd be like, "Yep, Peter, that's great." next take oh no you know you know you, you, you try do, hard yeah no, yeah sure sure you do i mean it's like anything else no you tried to get it right yeah 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 but like with with, with yoda how many how many um renditions of the same take did you have to do gracious i don't know that's a long time ago yeah a long time i don't ago. think that many i just you know i you know whatever i could more or less kind of do it do you kind of miss those <laughs> days though where you could do multiple things were you um, had your fingers in so many different pies? I mean, it was fun, uh, but honestly, um, I just like writing music. So um, I'm, I'm just happy to be a composer these days. And I, I and I like, uh, um, I mean, I was singing before I could talk, and I just that's what really, um, you know, moves me. Um, is is just doing music so so uh, yeah i mean once in a while i thought you know it'd be fun to do some voice acting or something like that I, I, and of course that's one of those things you got to work really hard at you got to take acting classes and and uh mm. it's a whole thing right um but uh yeah for me i just uh, like to focus on the music i heard a story that you because of that metal uh, version of imperial march that you did you mm -hmm. got you got uh, a call to go to Skywalker Ranch to answer for your crimes, so to speak. I did. Yes, <laughs> that would have been quite uh, daunting. A lot uh, of anxiety. It was, it, it was fine. Um, you know, uh, uh, it I was uh, I you know was just called by the uh, senior executive, the company, George's right hand man at the time, um, and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, and it was. It was more, it wasn't so much that John Williams was annoyed as there had been other situations using John Williams music or not using John Williams music when it should have been used that, that, uh, that they were dealing with. But, you know, it's, um, I, I, you know, it's, it's totally understandable. It's, you know, those are the crown jewels. That music is the crown jewels of, 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 uh, of Lucasfilm, so they got to be pretty serious about it. I would actually think that composing in that realm would be harder than composing normally because you have to keep the style in line with John Williams' way mm -hmm. of composing. Yeah. So it limits you, and you're kind of almost given like tunnel vision, and you have to keep within certain parameters. Well, you try to, yeah. I mean, you try to. Um, you know, most of what we did. Um, at LucasArts in terms of composing, there are only a couple things where, you know, like the, like Dark Forces, TIE Fighter, X-Wing, um, where we actually composed, um, Indy 4, um, Indiana Jones, where we actually composed music that was supposed to be, supposed to sound like John Williams and, um, and, and, and using the John Williams themes, you know, and, um, uh, you know, we had the benefit of, you might say, of, of not actually having a 
very high production value. So it was, it was a version for, you know, the sound blaster or whatever. Um, right. And so I, I wouldn't say, I mean, certainly we put high pressure on ourselves to do as good of a job as we possibly could, um, because we took the, we took the, um, uh, you know, we took those, uh, we took that music very seriously. I still do take it very seriously, but, um, it was more than anything. It was just great schooling. I mean, to even try in your, in your humblest way to imitate something that's really, you know, iconic like that. You can only learn from it. Yeah. So do you think it was your time at LucasArts was kind of like a crash course to prepare you for where you are now? Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was very lucky. Um, and I was lucky to work with, with, with really good friends. Um, the, the audio department in LucasArts was a very special place. And, and um, Michael Land and Clint Bajakian, the two composer colleagues, uh, and it was Michael's department. Um, he really built it. Um, where, I mean, those are, you know, golden years that we'll always remember fondly in terms of just being a working experience um, mm. and a learning experience. It, it was, um, I was glad to go out on my own because um, uh, I do, uh, like being able to, you know, work on whatever I can get the gig to work on. You know, how, there's artistic freedom and, and economic necessity. Um, and uh, so uh, uh, fortunately, Fortunately, over the years, those have lined up nicely. So yeah. I've, always, I've always enjoyed working on whatever I worked on. And uh, I, I've had, you know, nice, whimsical, well done projects to, uh, to score. Well, so, I, always, I always have a lot of admiration for someone that gives up their stability, say at LucasArts, mm -hmm. to become more of a freelancer. Because it's excitingly terrifying because you don't know really what's around the corner in terms of your next paycheck. It's, it, it is true. Uh, um, you know, that was, um, it was a, a scary time for sure. Uh, um, it, was also, it was also in the air though. I mean, we'd been there for a decade almost. And, um, and the new movies had just come out. The Phantom Menace had just come out. And there was a lot, there were a lot of people who were like, okay, well, I've, I've sort of, I've, things have kind of run their course for me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to, to do something new. And, um, uh, and so, and, and, and there was the whole, there was also a, a mood in, in the Bay Area at the time with, with the whole internet um, uh, sort of explosion. Mm. Where everybody was doing a startup or everybody was involved in a startup and, and you almost felt like you were missing out if you weren't. Um, and, and, uh, so, and that was very, I, that was, uh, that was exciting as well. You know, all the, all that stuff that was going on, all the, all the new technology and that was coming out, you know, maybe for better or for worse in some cases, but, but, um, uh, it was an exciting time to be in the Bay area. And so, um, and I said, so, for me, it was just, I had to do it. I, I, it wasn't even a, it almost wasn't a choice. I, I really wanted to go out and, you know, into the big world, you might say. Yeah.
So in terms of your career, is there anything at this point in time you haven't done that you want to do? Hmm. Um, there are things I'd like to do better. <laughs> There's a brilliant answer. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm to me, um, to me, music is, uh, is something that you can always get better at. And so, um, life learning. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I really look forward to the time when I can, you know, maybe get a little better on the, uh, on the keyboard or whatever, you know, music skills that, 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 uh, I'd like to, uh, develop and then, and then apply that to some new project. You know, I'm always thinking about, well, how can, you know, what am I going to learn on, what am I going to do that I haven't done on, mm. on this thing that I'm working on now? So, and there's always an answer to that. There's always something that I can you know, that I can, uh, that I can do better or that I can learn to do, uh, for the first time. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you ever get any downtime to do that though? Like if you wanted to improve on keyboard, for example, given, I imagine you're always working on projects, probably multiple at the same time. Do you ever actually get any downtime to kind of advance your musical mm, skills? Yeah. Not, not, at least not in the last 30 years no. <laughs> well, I suppose it's a good problem <laughs> but I, to have, but I right? Still, but I still, <laughs> I still, uh, I still, um, I, st I still have ambitions, you might say. Um, and uh, you know, yeah, there's also things. There's also things like work-life balance, right? You know, I mean, I am lucky totally. that I get. To, I'm really lucky I get to work at home uh, where my kids are, and uh, you know, and that's been a real blessing. Um, so. Uh, you know, right now, if I had if I had free time on my hands, I'm I'm sure I would do a little a little bit uh, a little bit of keyboard practicing, but I'd probably do a lot of camping as well. You know, mm -hmm. so that's, that's cool. Uh, yeah. Well, that's a good place to wrap up. Um, thank you so much for taking the time sure out to do, for doing this. I know how crazy busy you are, so um, I I much appreciate it. So, if anyone wants to follow you and see what you're up to and all that, where's the best place for them to do that? Uh, probably on Twitter. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, just probably follow me on Twitter. I, I, I try to, <laughs> I try to tweet every so often. <laughs> um, at peter.n.mcconnell is my Twitter handle. Um, and, uh, you know, I've got a Facebook page and artist Facebook page and stuff like that as well. And I, I try to keep those current. Um, and I, I haven't, I got an Instagram easy. account that hasn't been hasn't been. I, I, I'm I'm kind of an old guy. What can I say? I, I, I'm not so good with the social media, but um, oh, you don't need to be though, right? <laughs> I'm like one step up from Cobra Kai. <laughs> seen that show, but yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, no, uh, that's I do try to stay current on on Twitter and let folks know what's going on, and uh, and you know, there's always stuff going on. So. Yeah. Well, Peter, thanks again. I'll let you go. Uh, that is the show, everyone. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. Until next time, stay safe. See you later. Thanks, Reese. It's great. been a great pleasure. Likewise. Likewise.